Here we are. Good morning. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love for us into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, pardon me, almost changed our theology there. God has poured out his love for us into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Father God, teach us from your word, we pray. Amen. Hope springs eternal. The English poet Alexander Pope wrote, Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. But where do we turn when hope seems to dry up? The director of a medical clinic told a terminally ill young man, told of a terminally ill young man who came in for his treatment. A new doctor on duty said to him casually and probably quite cruelly, you know, don't you, that you won't live out the year. As the young man left, he stopped by the director's desk and wept. That man took away my hope, he blurted out. I guess he did, replied the director. Maybe it's time to find a new one. Commenting on this incident, Lewis Smedes wrote, Is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless? That question leads us to Christian hope, for in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. Hope simply defined as a positive attitude toward the future. Now some hopes are based on nothing less than a wish for greener pastures. Many people buy lottery or raffle tickets hoping that they're going to win a prize. Most know they're not going to win. And the odds are always on the sides of those holding the lottery or they wouldn't hold the lottery. But people buy tickets anyway, hoping that one day they'll win big. For some buyers, hope is little more than a silent wish, unspoken at the time of purchasing the ticket. They may even pretend to not care if they win or not. They call their purchase an act of charity or goodwill. I've used that excuse plenty of times. For others, their hope in winning consumes their thoughts and their pocketbooks. When I worked at a gas station that had a lottery terminal, I saw people buy hundreds of dollars in tickets on a regular basis and win little to nothing consistently. They told you they were ahead in the game, but I didn't believe it for a second. Their hope of winning becomes their noose for hanging. So hope just for hope's sake is not always healthy or productive. You have to place your hope in the right thing. 
Other hopes are based on our own efforts to improve our lives. People of all ages take classes at community colleges in order to learn new skills and ideas. Their hopes are as many as those who attend. Some hope that their studies will translate into marketable job skills. Some hope they'll find a new hobby or recreation. Some hope just to expand their knowledge and appreciation for life. Students have hopes for the future they want to fulfill and they're working towards them to see them come to fruit. And many people just hope that whatever comes is better than whatever's happening today. A psychologist asked 3,000 people, what have you to live for? He was shocked to discover that 94% of those who answered were simply enduring the present while they waited for the future, waited for something to happen, waited for next year, waited for a better time, waited for someone to die, waited for tomorrow, unable to see that all anyone has is today, because yesterday's gone, and tomorrow only lives in hope. The ancient philosophers debated the merits of hope as a virtue. To many it seemed to make men wish for things rather than work for them. Seeking wisdom and courage would make a man smarter and stronger. Trusting in hope rather than effort would make a man wishful and wimpy. Yet for all this I still believe that hope is so powerful it can make the difference between living and dying. Listen to this story. The school system in a large city had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during stays in the city's hospital. One day a teacher who was assigned to the program received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She took down the child's name and room number, talked briefly with the child's regular class teacher. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now, the teacher said. I'd be grateful if you could help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. Well, the hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned and was in great pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. When she left, she felt she hadn't really accomplished much. But the next day, a nurse asked her, what did you do with that boy? The teacher felt she must have done something wrong at her shock at his appearance, maybe, so she began to apologize. No, the, teach the nurse said, you don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little guy. But since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's, he's responding to treatment. It's as though he's decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Everything changed when he came to a simple realization. And this is the way he expressed it. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? 
Sometimes the difference between life and death is nothing more than hope. To the Christian, hope is central to our faith. And as Christians, we live with a hope that is secured by no one less than God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. So what do we hope for? Well, eternal life. Titus 1, verse 2. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God has promised that those who love him will live with him forever. And the life we spend with him will be free from all the things which have caused us pain and suffering. We hope for the coming of our Lord. Titus 2 verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he left the earth weeks after his resurrection, made a promise that he would physically and personally return to bring his children home. We don't place our hope in a mystic idea or set of ideas. We place it in a real person, Jesus Christ, who has promised to make our hopes reality in person. We hope for the resurrection. Acts 24, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, However, I admit I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. We can look forward to this resurrection with hope because we know that when it comes that we as God's children will be found righteous not because of our own deeds but because of the work of Christ for us on the cross. And finally, as Christians, we live in hope. Not just hoping for good things for the future but living with hope as an ever-present reality in our lives. Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The passage from Romans that I read at the beginning of this message is a strong treatment for hope, God's way. The word hope is repeated three times. The first time in verse 2, we read that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. These first two verses explain that as a Christian, we have been made right with God. This is the meaning of the phrase justified by faith. Our belief and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has brought peace between us and God. Now being in this state of peace has many benefits, not the least of which is that we can look forward to the future with the confident expectation that God will keep his promise to take us to live with him for eternity. Our hope in the glory of God 
is knowing that God will be faithful to us and that no matter what may happen in the present, our hope for the future is secure. The security leads us to the second occurrence of the word hope. The second time in verse 4, we find that hope is at the end of a chain of events that begin with suffering and end with hope. Now you'd think that suffering and hope really don't have a lot in common with each other. In fact, the only connection I think we naturally make is that people hope that their suffering will eventually end somehow or other. The words in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, are not meant to portray Christians as people who go looking for ways to get hurt. They actually complement the words that come just before them. The words that we just looked at in verse 2, we rejoice in our hope. And together they paint a picture of Christians rejoicing in their hopes for their future and also rejoicing in their present sufferings. Which begs the question, why would anyone rejoice in suffering? Again, we're not being called to pretend we're not suffering or ignore the painful parts of our lives. It's a call to accept the reality of suffering in our lives, trusting that God will help us through them. God can do amazing things in the lives of those who trust Him through the hard times, as well as the easy ones. Suffering doesn't disappear from our lives when we take a step of faith toward Jesus, but it does become less powerful. Our faith will help us persevere long past our own ability to endure has been expended. And as we learn to persevere, our character, who we are as people, is strengthened. And as our character, strengthened not by our own devices, but by our faith in God, grows, we look to the future with more and more hope. I'm going to share a bit more about how this came alive in my life earlier. But first I want to tell you a story about how someone saw hope when others would see ruin. The story is called God Ain't Dead. I'm not a connoisseur of great art, but from time to time a painting or picture will speak a real clear, strong message for me. Some time ago, I saw a picture of an old burned out mountain shack. All that remained was the chimney, the charred debris of what had been that family's sole possession. In front of this destroyed home stood an old grandfatherly looking man, dressed only in his underclothes, with a small boy clutching a pair of patched overalls. It was evident that the child was crying. Beneath the pictures were the words which the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. They were simple words, yet they presented a profound theology and philosophy of life. These words were, Hush, child, God ain't dead. That picture of the burned-out mountain shack, the old man, the weeping child, and those words, God ain't dead, keep returning to my mind. 
Instead of being a reminder of the despair of life, it has come to be a reminder of hope. I need reminders that there is hope in this world. In the midst of all of life's troubles and failures, I need mental pictures to remind me that all is not lost as long as God is alive and in control of his world. The tragedy that man and child faced was very real, but the man knew that God could and would see them through what was ahead, and because of that, he did not lose hope. And finally, the third time in verse 5, we read, Hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This verse brings up the grounds we have for hope. We are not disappointed in hope. Our hope is well grounded, because God has already shown us what he can do for us by giving us the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us until our ultimate hope is realized. The Holy Spirit in our lives is like a deposit made by God, a guarantee that one day he, what, all that He has promised and much more will actually happen. Many people live with hope which they've generated themselves. A little a month before he died, the famous atheist John Paul Sartre declared he so strongly resisted feelings of despair that he would say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. But then in profound sadness he would add, but hope needs a foundation. Our hope has a foundation. It's built on the trustworthiness of God's word. Romans 15.4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's built on the love of God in our lives. Look at Psalm 33.18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. It's built on the undeniable existence and work of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the end of our passage in Romans declares, our hope is also built on the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll tell you that these verses from Romans helped me so much when my battle with leukemia was at its strongest. Back in last October, when I had come through one set of chemotherapy, was looking toward the next one, these verses just came alive in my life. I'd been suffering. Lori can tell you about bleeding through my nose in the early stages of the fight, the, the nausea, the other symptoms, and the myriad of side effects that kept me in the hospital much longer than expected. It seemed that every time they were about to release me, something else would come up that would keep me in the hospital. But for some reason, a reason that came clear in these verses, we still had hope.
God was using these sufferings to make me tougher. More sympathetic also to others who had been hospitalized for long periods of time. Let me read to you some thoughts that I wrote down at the time. I called them aha moments. Moments in which something just clicked and I knew that God was teaching me something. Reading Romans 5, 1-5 as a leukemia fighter. It's like the words are just branding themselves into my thoughts. I'm not glorying in the illness, but I've certainly suffered because of it. But that suffering is making me tougher, stronger, and I can honestly feel the chain reaction, perseverance, character, and then hope. And do I ever feel hope? When we heard the doctor say the word remission, it was like lightning. There's hope in this battle after all. And hearing it again after the complications was like sealing it tight. The complications of the omaya, the hip, the headaches were all sufferings. But they've led to a stronger hope than ever. The Holy Spirit is pouring hope into my life. I am in God's presence right now. In closing, as followers of Christ, we are anchored to nothing less than Christ himself. So may we as his children live lives that show this hope to be alive and real. When we're called to faith for our task, may our hope silence our critics and even make them feel wanting. When we're hit by tragedy, may we realize that no matter how severe it is, there's nothing that can extinguish the hope that God gives. And may the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives lead us to live lives full of hope. Hope that steadies our hearts in the present, prepares us for the future, and leads us to do things for God which would be hopeless without Him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you have given us so many reasons that we can have hope. We don't have to build it on our own efforts. We don't have to always even feel it. We can know it to be true. Your word is true. Your promises are secure. They're good. And we trust in them. Sometimes we feel brimming with hope. Ready to go. Sometimes hope is just hard to pin down. But our efforts don't matter. Yours do. And you've done everything we need to secure our hope. It's already done. It's already done in the work of your Son. As we move into this time of communion now, Lord, we remember what you've done for us. What you've done for us to secure our hope. And the promises that you've made that we still hope to see come true. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.